Hello, this is Terry, and welcome to the Animation Industry Podcast. This chat is with senior character animator at Blizzard Entertainment, Peter Starostin, who shares his journey from becoming a French horn player into 3D character animation. If you're unfamiliar with Peter, you've most definitely seen his work before, that is. If you've played StarCraft, WarCraft, Halo, Diablo, or Overwatch, just to name a few, because he's animated a ton of the scenes in the cinematics. In this chat, he's gonna share what it's like being a 3D character animator, including his workflow, tips on improving body mechanics, what he does to keep upping his game, and what you need to do to put together a portfolio that will get noticed. So now, without further ado, let's jump into the chat. Hi, Peter, okay. thanks so much for coming on the podcast. How are you doing? Uh, it's my pleasure, thanks for having me. Uh, like I said before, I was a fan of your stop motion animations. Yeah. Way before I even started, it was like 15 years ago or something like that. I loved it. Wait, so, before you started your path in CG? No, no, no. I, remember, I was thinking in my head before I started at Blur, which was oh, like, okay. the first big studio I worked on. And that was like 15 years ago. Uh, well, I, I, just... sitting, I, I distinctly remember sitting there at my desk and sending your videos to people. Hey, check this out. <laughs> oh, no way. Thank you so much. Yeah. I was just a young teenager back then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just yeah. like in high school. I, and I loved um, the, the two that I remember the most is uh, the face is hard to replace. I would say that line just in <laughs> daily life. Um, and then uh, uh, the B uh, I, was like, the, the, there's like a really dark feeling with a lightning. And then the, uh, this face comes out and like, I come, I've, I've seen your future. I've come from tomorrow. <laughs> if tomorrow, you see a dead B, do not touch it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't touch <laughs> Stay it. Stay away from the B. <laughs> that is, uh, that one is from me specifically touching a dead bee and getting stung by it. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> when so I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and the other one, don't lose your face. A face is hard to replace. I don't know why. It was just kind of a weird joke. And then it became like an inside joke with my friends and I. So don't lose your face. Face is hard to replace. <laughs> I, it became like part of my uh, joke, and I guess, too, because I've said it to you know people before. So. Yeah, that feels so great to know that like you, halfway across the world, are enjoying random stop motion stuff. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Oh, it was great. It was so entertaining. Like, and I really like the like the dark mystic feeling you created with those those pieces. So if anybody is listening and haven't seen it, I definitely look look it up. Yeah. Well, at some point I got to get back to my roots and do some more of that stuff. But yeah. in the meantime, let's talk about your career because you've also had a very colorful career in CG, especially because you you've worked on like Diablo, StarCraft, Overwatch, work like basically all the number one sellers. Um, so how how did you end up actually getting into this in the first place? Uh, well, like I was mentioning before, I was supposed to be a French horn player. That's because uh, my mom was a piano player, my biological father was a trumpet player, and then my stepdad was a ballet dancer. Um, and I was back in Moscow. That's where I grew up. And so threw me into music really early on. I went to this central music school specifically f- uh, for, uh, it was like middle school, I guess, age. I think I was like nine or something. Um, and you had to audition to get into. So my I already started piano lessons when I was six or seven, and then the music theory and all that stuff. And you had to to get into school. You had to like play uh, the instrument, uh, um, and so it was like uh, brilliant musicians basically. And then we when we moved to America in '93, I got a full a full scholarship to Juilliard pre college. And pre college is more like uh, for high school students. It's uh, Saturday programs. So uh, on every Friday night, I would because we lived eventually we lived in. Uh, Philadelphia and then Delaware, and I would just take a, a bus to New York and stay overnight with my, my friends in Brooklyn, and then I would go for all classes on Saturday. So I was going to be like totally French horn, and I even went to college for French horn as well. Uh, but at that time, my friend introduced me to 3D Studio Max, and I got totally hooked on it. So uh, the last year uh, before I switched, and I was already 23, uh, I was thinking to myself, like, well, I'm spending all this time learning 3D Studio Max and 3D, and I wanted to be a modeler, by the way. Mo- uh, modeling rigging, I thought that's where it's all. Animation, anybody can move the keys, you know. <laughs> the meat and potatoes is uh, modeling and rigging, because that's, like, the look of the character. Um, uh, I'll get I'll get, I'll get into that a little bit later, but... Um, but yeah, so I, I've, oh yeah, and I forgot to mention uh, that that year when I decided to quit music and go for 3D, uh, the orchestra of the um, college I used to go to, uh, I was going to play uh, a solo Mozart concerto. I don't know which one, there's four of them. Uh, I forgot already, but I gave that up. Uh, but that would have been pretty damn sweet to have orchestra accompany you. 
Because right. my mom is a piano player, and so every time we went to auditions or com uh, we played competitions, or whatever, my mom would accompany me, and the piano accompaniment is is great, and so I never had to worry about that. But uh, I remember I won a competition once uh, when I was still young, and the the prize was to play at a concert. It was Strauss concerto with an orchestra, and man, such an amazing feeling when you play in the solo and the whole orchestra is your accompaniment live. Oh, wow. It, it's it's great. Um, so I still kind of miss those, yeah. <laughs> you know. And I, I always wonder, like, what if I actually stuck with it, and like, and I went through it, like, what would have my life would have turned out? So, so but, well, um, wait a second. So if, I have a couple questions from that. First of all, how did you get exposed to 3D Studio Max? Your friend just showed it to you, and then you started modeling the next day. Like, what was the first thing you made? Like, uh, what oh, were you well, doing? I think uh, the, way, the way I got interested into it is because I always like cartoons and superheroes. Actually, when I remember when I first came to America and I saw Spider-Man and uh, X-Men, the mutants, I never even thought of that a kind of idea, like mutants with superpowers. So that was awesome. I always I was like Transformers or when I was back in Russia or like a, a Robotech. Uh, uh, that was amazing. Star Wars, obviously, um, that kind of stuff. Uh, so I got really into comic books, like Jim Lee and Mark Silvestri's stuff. I loved it. And then... And I like to draw all that stuff. Like, you know, in, a, in my books, uh, you, you could do like a flip book in the corner of the um, school uh, school book. So I would like draw Wolverine unleashing yeah. his claws or something. <laughs> um, and then when my friend like, hey, look, there's 3D Studio Max. Uh, you can do stuff. And uh, I, I was really excited about that. Uh, yeah, so that's how. Yeah, he basically just... He, he was also in the same stuff. We were both into video games, and he just, you know, uh, a lot of games use 3D to Max to make them, and, you know, here. And he just had a copy. <laughs> so how did, how, did your, <laughs> how did you break the news to your parents that you decided to give up on this French horn dream and pursue this um, thing that was only a hobby for you up until right. this point? I kept um, I kept showing them stuff that I would make, um, and eventually I was getting I was learning it more and more, um, and I would show them examples of like I remember my mom absolutely loved Alien Song by uh, Victor Navon back then uh, it was uh, 2003 or something like that, um, and and I showed her like hey I can do this kind of stuff in, in 3D and like look commercials are using it movies are using it more and more and I'm really interested in this. Um, and she was surprisingly really supportive. I mean, she said she said she was really sad that she will never hear me play again. Uh, but at the same time, if this is what I want to do, I mean, just just go for it. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That well, that's that's difficult to hear. I'm sure. So how I think do you... I think actually um, we had a family friend uh, who also talked to my mom a little bit because every time I would go to uh, for Juilliard uh, in New York, I would stay with them, uh, and they're like all family friends even back from Moscow and I would talk to them about my stuff you know I would show them 3D you know um, uh, and she, so she knew I was like really passionate about that and I think my mom I, I remember that uh, she, she told me that she had a conversation with my mom about it too and like hey you know if he really loves doing that maybe he should do that so maybe she was a little bit more prepared for this talk yeah. than I thought uh, but anyways she, she was always supportive so uh, it was not a problem yeah nice so how do you go from deciding you want to pursue something in 3D Studio Max to actually working on some of the biggest names in video games. <laughs> like, where's where's the in-between? <laughs> oh, okay. So I went to Arnold School of Philadelphia, which is a terrible school. It's closed by now. <laughs> um, and, I, and it's weird. I, I should have... Like, I, I paid off my side of the sh uh, loans already. Uh, but I should have probably looked at the student portfolios that come out, and because already I could already do all that stuff because I learned it on my own, and I should, probably shouldn't have gotten that school. But I still made made friends there. It was still good uh, in that sense. I don't know if I had to pay fifty some k dollars to make friends, so but you know. <laughs> um, uh, well, well, while I was there, uh, I started uh, remotely working for um, uh, Scott uh, Christian Sauer, who actually just released uh, Animal Crackers on Net Netflix. Uh, and he had a small studio, like just remote work uh, back then. And so I worked for him. And, uh, and so I was doing school. Um, I was uh, working for him and a couple local places in Philadelphia. And then Animation Mentor came out. And uh, right before that, I thought to myself, because remember how, how I mentioned how I wanted to be a model and rigger and animation is that anybody can move the yeah, keys if you have enough time, I'll, I'll make it great. Um, I learned 
the hard way that it's not so. We we were doing a cinematic for Predator Concrete Jungle, and it was like uh, I did a couple shots where um, there's a ramp opens up, and they all walk down the ramp, and so it was a walk cycle going down the ramp, uh, and me who's never learned animation, I just did modeling rigging at the time, uh, and it was terrible. I spent like a week animating. It's it looks crappy. Um, I can send you a link to that <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you, it's still on YouTube, and it's the most terrible thing ever. And then um, a little bit later, uh, this guy started working with us, uh, Carlos Portolos. He's the head of animation at DreamWorks right now, and he was already back really good back then. And uh, and um, he did walk cycle like half a day, and it looked way better. And I was like, what? There's got to be like things to animation night. Clearly, there are things about animation I don't know about. So I talked to him. He, he recommended me Animation Survival Kit, which already boosted my my skill. Um, and then um, my other friend took Animation Mentor. He really recommended it. So I was like the really second wave of students at Animation Mentor. And that was awesome, too. So I learned that there's a lot more to animation than I thought. Like I was completely wrong about it. And um, that's when the studio, I felt like, started to specialize as well. Um, oh, the studios. Um, so... I kind of stuck with animation because I liked it a lot. Nice. So uh, I guess now thinking about your career, are you living out that dream that you aspired to pursue when you realized that you didn't want to take French horn and you wanted to do animation? Definitely. Because uh, when I was learning to use Max, part of the reason why I was learning is because I knew that Blur used it and uh, Blizzard Cinematics used it. And I loved ah. Blizzard Cinematics and Blur stuff at the time, like Warcraft 3 Cinematics and Starcraft. Um, and I remember there was one point where um, I was trying to learn how to make characters at the very beginning. I would make like this really dense sphere and try to poke in their eyes and take out the nose. It was really dense and really heavy and slow. It was, just a reminder, it was Painting 75 with 16 megabytes of RAM. Uh, it took <laughs> half an hour to open up 3 to the max 2.5, I think. Um, anyway, so I'm like, how the hell do they do, like, make characters even move? Like, I can't even barely rotate around it. Uh, and then there was a making of when 3 to the max 3.0 was coming out. There was an interview with Nick Carpenter from cinematics and he showed uh, how orc is waking up he showed how it's a low poly cage and he turned on uh, mesh smooth and, and like aha uh -huh. so that's how you do it you do a low poly cage and then you subdivide it and that like completely like um propelled me towards modeling like i could model anything after that i just had to figure <laughs> out the buttons like figuring out the buttons was the easy part um so then when i first started the blizzard my very first director was Nick carpenter on the starcraft cinematics the same guy from that video and, and he looked exactly the same by the way i don't think he, the guy ages um and so like oh, you're the guy <laughs> so <laughs> that was pretty pretty awesome uh and how yeah did, i how got to actually get the job at blizzard um well first i got a job with blur and um how did you get the job at blur <laughs> <laughs> right that might tie into your question because I, I remember you had a question something about um, uh, the industry standards now yeah, versus then. Because yeah. back then, like I said, I was like a very second wave of animation mentor, and I only took first three classes. Um, and that demo reel was uh, good enough at the time to get me front page of CG Talk. Um, but I think if you look at Wait, the... you got on the front page of CG Talk with your portfolio. Oh, wow. Congrats. Yeah. That's so, amazing. And, and <laughs> so somebody at Blur saw it, uh, and he sent it to Tim Miller, and Tim Miller emailed me. He's like, hey, are you interested? Uh, at the time, that's when I was actually sending out reels everywhere. I would just, like, spam every company with uh, my demo reel. Um, and already... I should say it already had an interview lined up in San Diego, so <laughs> I kind of used that to also swing by Blur. Um, but... Um, yeah, uh, I think if that same demo reel appeared now, it wouldn't have gotten me very far just because uh, quality is a lot, you know, yeah, a lot better now. Um, I mean, I had a walk cycle, a couple <clears throat> pantomime shots, pantomime mechanic shots, but that's about it. Um, but yeah, so that got me blur. And then um, after almost two years there, uh, one of the Blur animators went to Blizzard and Blizzard looking for animators so he kind of recommended me and then I interviewed did a test uh, and I went yeah. nice I, I do want to talk about how competition in CG specifically is changing and and kind of the standards of getting in are much higher now but mm -hmm. first like uh, one question I have is like 
why do you get up in the morning to go to your job? Like for many people, you know, getting up is is a chore and then, you know, work nine to five and you can't wait till it's done and you live for the weekend. For you, what is what is the reason for getting up and pursuing this every day? Is it is it does it become a job at the end of the day or is it something kind of always exciting to look forward to? Like, what is that for you? Uh, there's, uh, there were parts where a, uh, it felt like a job a little bit, but for the most part, there's always like exciting new stuff because animation is, it's not like you're doing the same walk cycle over and over and over. It's always like new characters or new scenarios. Yeah. Like I remember when I was at Blur, uh, uh, my very first project was uh, Gentleman's Duel. And it was like a more stylized kind of short they did that looked really good. Um, and after that, I think we did like Transformers cinematic. And I was like, wow, that's awesome. I get to animate characters, you know, for a couple of months here and then Transformers for another two months, then something else. Um, that was pretty sweet. And and of course, Blizzard stuff works in StarCraft. StarCraft is like my favorite IP, I think. Uh, that's part of the reason why I wanted to go there. And they announced StarCraft 2 right before I went there. So I was super excited. Yeah, yeah, and then and then uh, now, so I've been uh, a lead on uh, several cinematics there, um, and as a lead, you get to uh, kind of like work with um, other departments to make sure animators have uh, everything they need from the rig, or you know, um, anything from modeling, in, in, like if there's like contact surfaces or uh, assets. Um, so you kind of get to work with people. That's really really fun, um, and then also we get to. Um, develop like the face rig a little bit. So I got some input in that. Uh, and that's, it kind of ties into my initial passion of being a modeler. <laughs> so, yeah. Because we kind of get I get to work a little bit on the, the face shapes. Uh, so uh, there's a lot, um, there's a lot about my job that still excites me. So. Is there anything that you is missing that you're still pursuing? Um, well, I'm kind of have a little bit of a side project. I'm making a little side scroller video game. No way! <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, like I don't in, know how 2D. Yeah, yeah. So I definitely want to get better at 2D animation, um, and I specifically want to not do it in 3D and just render sprites. Like I really like the look of a 2D. Uh, for example, um, we have a PlayStation 3 at work that I brought with uh, my old TV. So, uh, so me and a couple other animators were playing Street Fighter 3 Third Strike. And the reason we're playing that game instead of 4 or 5 is because it is 2D and it just looks gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, uh, so there's like a, there's something there's something very appealing about even like old style SNES. Yeah, games. yeah. Obs- like oh, those the two, art yeah. and stuff just can't be replicated with modern stuff. I don't I don't know. I wonder if because uh, when you look at like like the drawings of um, of Third Strike and uh, like Capcom like uh, Capcom versus uh, X Men or whatever, like in the drawings you see anatomy really well and like uh, the poses are really clear and the line of action is there and you're not constricted by uh, mesh or you know three uh, yeah. stuff. I feel like to get the same kind of quality and posing and also be true to anatomy, uh, you have to like. I feel like you have to create morph targets to go along with your animation, not just like a, a default blending of the weighting because it's just just rubbery. Right. That's, that's interesting to hear from somebody who works in C, like primarily CG mm-hmm. to talk about 2D like that. That's interesting. Well, because uh, so for cinematics, for example, uh, I think a lot of companies do that. Is they uh, create kind of like corrective blend shapes for certain frames in animation. So, so something that the rig cannot do, uh, like for facial expressions or for like uh, muscles, uh, we'll, we'll get like a modeler to sculpt a certain frame and we'll turn that on and off. You know. Mm. So I feel yeah. like if maybe like uh, Street Fighter, Street Fighter Five, for example, had something like that, uh, where you, you get to, you have your animation, you prove it and everything, but then you also go in and sculpt um, or shape uh, the actual shape and anatomy a little bit better, maybe. Makes sense. Well, animation is all about exaggeration and stuff like that, so it totally right. makes sense. That's true. That's true. So maybe maybe let's jump back and talk about the competitiveness of kind of today's industry versus what it was when you started. What it, so you mentioned you know the portfolio you put together that got you into the industry isn't the same type of portfolio somebody would need to put together to get into now. What what has changed? Like if if you if you're looking at portfolios to hire somebody for I don't know working on the next Starcraft or something, what are you going to look for? Um, 
Well, to in terms of how the industry changed, if I just go back a little bit, uh, sure. I remember there was a time when I first uh, learning 3D Max, um, and you know Maya was around as well, and it, uh, I heard that all you needed to get into industry is just to know the software. That's all, uh, and you can make a lot of money doing that. Um, and then uh, in terms of animation, like I remember back then when I was learning Animation Mentor, if you look at the quality of animation in games, for example, it wasn't quite as high as it is right now. Like right now. Um, like games have amazing animation. Like it's not, I don't think it's any less uh, than a feature or film, you know, at, the, at this point um, overall. Uh, because the quality of animators in generally uh, rose. And back then when I was uh, first learning, uh, the resources for animation was really scarce too. Like there was a lot of tutorials on how to model uh, like characters and stuff like that. But uh, in terms of principle of animation and um, how to go about it, there, there was like nothing I could find on it, I remember. Um, so that's why Animation Method was really awesome. And it was, it was like the only school back then. And now there are like several schools now that really good and a bunch of uh, really good animators also have their own classes. Um, so there's, a, and also on the internet, there's just like a lot more resources when it comes to animation. So you can, you can learn, no problem now. Um, so I think a lot of people just have access to that now, and uh, that's why when they're coming out of the schools, uh, the quality is higher too. Gotcha. Um, and in terms of uh, competing, well, I think then it comes down to just creativity, I guess, uh, of of because uh, it seems like I remember you said um, uh, a lot of student reels started to look the same, and I wonder if it's because they're all going pretty much to the similar schools doing similar programs. And so they all have similar kind of exercises. Um, I, uh, and if they all have good body mechanics and know how to polish and all that stuff, uh, I guess at that point, how else can you excel is by uh, creating interesting scenarios in your animations. Like, um, so instead of like just lifting a box, it could be Oh, I don't know. Something that would be <laughs> unexpected. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, I remember I did, well, it was a box, but I uh, imagined uh, that the guy is moving from one apartment to another and he's trying to load a fridge into a truck. Uh, but maybe, uh, maybe... Well, there's a story element there. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. If you create, like, a more interesting story element, maybe that will, uh, um, you know... Uh, yeah. Does it does it matter the stylistic choice of the animation I choose? Like, what if I'm going for like rubber hose versus like very realistic uh, type of style? Does it really matter? Or, or when people are looking at your portfolio, do they do they see what's behind kind of the style and and what you actually do with the body mechanics? Uh, I think I think it does matter. I mean, the principles would be the same. It's just a matter of exaggeration. Uh, but um, if if you're applying uh, and you have like super stylized animation um, uh, which doesn't quite fit the style of weather digital for example and then somebody who has like really realistic animation then probably they're yeah. gonna go with the guy who they definitely know can do the style then the guy who i think he knows principles but i don't know if he can do our style so uh, there's gonna be consideration there for okay. sure but it's not to say that you shouldn't do because uh, if you really enjoy that kind of animation maybe you could apply to studios that do that kind of stuff um, like Sony in Vancouver, for example, they uh, tend to be more stylized. So, totally, I'm I'm a I'm a big purporter of that. Like, do something that you love and find a place that you can do right. something like that. Yeah, yeah. So, with you, um, I'm just thinking about how you're kind of like a very you're kind of like top tier animator in my mind. Oh, really? Do oh you... my god, I don't think about myself that way. <laughs> <laughs> but how do you how do you continuously learn and keep? Um, keep refining your work over the years? Is it just a matter, like, does it happen naturally because of the workload that you're getting? Or do you actively still take classes and like study and, and do things like that? Yeah, I, I, a bit of both, I think. Because uh, we, I mean, we tend to push ourselves uh, at work, obviously. And we also look at the work that other studios produce and we get in, uh, uh, we get a bunch of new hires from other studios that they, they bring their own perspective uh, where how they did it back uh, at those studios too. So um, we all share and try to grow and learn basically. Um, once, once you're in a studio, is it very competitive to get the shots you want or to progress in your career there? Uh, I wouldn't say competitive because I feel like 
in my experience, everybody have been really supportive. Uh, like if you ask somebody for feedback, they'd be willing, willing to give it to you. Uh, obviously, we have dailies. Uh, in terms of shots, uh, they try to assign uh, chunks of shots because it's easier for one animator, yeah. I think, to um, uh, do the continuity than uh, other ones. But sometimes that doesn't quite work out schedule-wise or um, layout is not quite ready yet uh, on these shots, but these shots are so... They try to uh, give chunks to one animator, but it doesn't always work out that way. Gotcha. I'm just thinking, as you, if you like reflect back on your career, what was maybe? Did you have any aha moments about the way things work animation-wise, or that have like really sped up your your process, or made you a much better animator? Are there any things that really stand out that you learned? Uh, well, I remember earlier on, definitely there were a bunch of aha moments, like because I really. After that experience of me animating Predator walking down the ramp and horribly <laughs> failing, uh, I really wanted to learn how to do walk cycles. Uh, that was like my one number one goal after that. Like if, if I don't know how to do that, I, I really needed to learn. Um, and so um, learning how to do walk cycle at Animation Mentor and by reading the Animation Survival Kit, uh, that was an aha moment right there. Like all those uh, the, the poses, the contact down, uh, passing yeah. it up. Um, and then there were a bunch of aha moments during that process to, because I think in uh, animation survival kit, the walk cycle is more uh, 2D cartoony version. A realistic walk is a little bit different. Yeah. Um, so once I figured that out, that was another aha. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, and also, well, <laughs> I remember um, they had us do bouncing ball and then a bunch of bouncing ball exercises, and then you do a walk with just a ball with two feet. And, and I thought to myself, hey, the curve looks just like a bouncing ball, except it's uh, it's a little bit softer at the bottom. So if you just basically have a bouncing ball softer with legs, it looks like a cartoony stylized walk. So I'm like, huh, that that made it like a lot easier for me. Oh, I've um, never I've never actually thought of that before, but it makes yeah. sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, and I remember also um, uh, tracking your arcs and spacing was uh, early on was also a moment because I always thought to myself like looking at Pixar and stuff like oh, why is it so smooth and like fluid but snappy at the same time? Well, just because your arcs and spacing are checked, you know, by every frame. And I didn't realize like I didn't do that back then. So so you you check your like your graphs, I guess. Is that what you're talking about? Uh, oh well, you know, like if, if visually, so not graph editor, ah. but. But in screen space, uh, if like I'm doing this motion with my arm, you you would actually track every frame, like the the the, the curve curvature that my arm is making, like this is an arc, and then spacing is distance between every frame. Yeah. So you make sure that uh, uh, there's a nice arc and uh, uh, gradual changes in distances, not like smaller, 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 big, and small, small, small. Then it'll feel kind of jerky. Right. Uh, but computer, if if you just let computer do it for you, you'll get that kind of stuff all the time. So you have to, I almost end up with like a keyframe on every frame almost in certain oh, wow. parts. Okay. And that's that's pretty crazy. So, and that's like a regular process now for you, I guess, keyframing every single frame. <laughs> oh, I don't, you don't start keyframing every single frame. Right, that's, right, that's a polishing pass at the very end when everything else got bought off on, but yeah. So, so maybe let's talk about your career. Can you go over some highlights of projects? I mean, you already mentioned a few, but like what, thinking back, like what are some of the most exciting projects that you've right. worked on, and maybe also some of the low points, like maybe projects that weren't so exciting. Uh. Hmm. Well, I, I mean, I worked some not so exciting stuff before I got to Blur, because um, <laughs> I was working at the um, studio that I did prim- primarily uh, medical previews, and that did not excite me at all. But they uh, hired me to do some character animation for some kind of presentation. Um, and it was fun because it was basically me and the friend who introduced me to 3D Studio Max, we were just two of us. So from that point of view, it was really, really fun just because was, I just did the characters rig and animation and he did lighting and environments and uh, put it all together. And I was cool. It was like a two-team little show, uh, but it was like really fast-paced. I couldn't do the same quality of animation. Like it, it was just uh, really rough. Uh, but still kind of fun. I don't know, like I can't really find too many like low points because I'm excited about this stuff anyways. <laughs> That's um, fine. <laughs> I remember when I first got to uh, Blora, and the first project was uh, General's Duel, which was their last short, I think they did. Uh, and just looking at the animations that people already did there, and like, oh my God, wow, this is amazing. Uh, did you, did, like, a lot of people feel kind of imposter syndrome at the beginning oh, of their career? That did happens all that? the time. 
that's still happening. Yeah. We, we actually had a conversation about that work too. Uh, we had a person who worked at DreamWorks for 20 years and now she's with us and even she experienced imposter syndrome. I don't oh, think, wow. I don't think that, I don't know if that ever goes away to be honest. <laughs> so how do you, how do you deal with that? Um, well, it's really helpful to recognize that everybody else has it to some extent. Yeah. Um, uh, and we kind of talked about it. Um, yeah, um, it's just a human thing, I guess. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, you, st you still have to feel a certain level of confidence about your abilities, obviously. Uh, but when you see a lot of like really good stuff being done around you and you're trying to live up to that quality, I mean, it, it creeps yeah. in. And, and so, I, I oh, definitely okay. felt really lucky when I was at, at Blur and like I was seeing uh, Dave Vallone doing like amazing shots or, um, uh, yeah, I, I just tried to just try to keep up. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever kind of feel the opposite where you're really confident at uh, like a certain type of animation or a certain like do you have a niche that you specialize in? I think I'm probably leaning more towards like action stuff just because that's what I did most of the time. Uh, so definitely like to spend more time doing some. I mean, we did some acting shots as well, but uh, a lot of my stuff, I think, is more action oriented. Yeah. Um, um, how do you know, like, to know a shot is done and perfected? Like, what is the feeling that you get when you know it's when you know it's presentable to either the team or your supervisor or just going out into the world? Like, is there a certain feeling you get of like completion or like? Uh, do you, do you mean like when the shot gets approved at the end? Or yeah, or or just like when you're ready to show it to other people? Because because right. like there's so many different stages of yeah. doing animation, right? I, I was just gonna say yeah, it, it kind of goes in stages. Like at first you block in your idea, uh, roughly. And then once you're kind of happy with that, then you show feedback and uh, with director and uh, lead and, all, and supervisor and a lot of stuff. Um, and then you get notes. And then um, there were times where I would get a note, maybe during second pass, when it like uh, idea got approved, then I um, solidified it a little, some more and then showed it, and I would get a note. And um, I was thinking to myself, I don't think I agree with that note. I think it's better this way. But you know, it was, it was my supervisor. I gotta do it. So, so I went and did the note, and then I looked at it and compared. Like, huh, this is better. So, so uh, that uh, it's like a lesson learned a while ago. That um, even if you don't agree with the note, still do it because you don't know. Like, it's hard to uh, compare it just in your head. So, um, um, yeah. So I always, always uh, try to take those notes and shove those initial thoughts about them. <laughs> yeah, it takes a bit of like biting your ego almost. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. So you, you kind of have to uh, go into it before you can you can see it. I, I, I mean, there are degrees to that. Obviously, sometimes you can get a note that definitely would work. But uh, I don't think my supervisor or lead ever gave me any of those. I think it was always pretty good. So, um, so you definitely have to yeah fight your ego a little bit. Um, uh, Oh yeah, in, ter in terms of like uh, feeling about it, that, that really depends on how the shot went. Um, there are some shots that are really smooth, like I just keep working on it and show it and get some minor notes here and there and then keep working some more, like, oh yeah, keep going, you know, maybe like this and this. I'm like, oh yeah, I didn't get to it yet. Uh, yeah, I didn't do the overlap here yet. Uh, so, um, and then before I know it, it's approved. I'm like, huh, that was, that was smooth. That was awesome. I'm awesome. And then <laughs> there are shots where, um, you know, you, you, sh you show and then idea is not quite working and trying to struggle and you don't have a good vision in your head yet and you shoot some more reference um, and then you show it and then the, somebody says, huh, you know, it'd be nice if you actually added some like breathing here and some overlap over here and you think to myself, oh, you don't see it? I added it, it's it's there. Um, and I guess I did it, added it so subtly that nobody could see it. Uh, <laughs> so you start questioning yourself like, I thought I did it. Why, why, why can't they see it? I guess I suck. So, and then you struggle throughout a little, some more, and then the uh, uh, director uh, um, had some, some notes uh, in the third pass, and you have to change something. Like it's it, sometimes it's a struggle to, to go through changes and like finish a shot, and then like oh, finally I'm done with that shot. So, so it really depends on how <laughs> the whole experience went. Oh man, how long does that process take? Uh, it depends on the shot. Um, I have a shot right now that has 30 days bid on it. It's, it has nine characters. So that's 
I've been on that for a couple of weeks now, or several oh, wow. weeks already. And then there, um, there's a shot with just one character. It might be like something shorter, and it'll be like a week, maybe a week and a half. So it really varies. How how many people are you working with on a team for these like cinematic movie or video game scenes and things? Like, is it a huge team or is it like pretty small? Uh, I'm guessing relatively small if you take into consideration uh, feature film, for example. Like, I think I heard that Sony they had like 100 and 120 animators on some films, and that's we have total like maybe 35 animators right now oh, okay. and we have like several cinematics going on at the same time and it's like five or six people sometimes or maybe sometimes two it depends on like the scope of this you know how big how big the piece is so oh, that's that's smaller than i thought it would be actually yeah yeah it was the same uh, from what i remember uh blur was the same way yeah yeah can you take me through kind of the you, you kind of already have but maybe if you just sum it up um like the process of getting a shot and then you know, blocking it out, animating it, going for the different passes, et cetera. Like, what does the whole process kind of look like? Uh, well, yeah, you get a storyboard and previous first, and then you get a kickoff from the director about what the shot is about, what he uh, his expectations for it, and what the characters need to do. And then you talk about if it's important to the shot. Uh, talk about uh, what the character is feeling in this moment. Uh, um, kind of like history, what came before, um, and then. Depends on the shot. Sometimes I'll do like rough sketches. Uh, if it's like an action shot, I sometimes do like rough 2D. And then if it's uh, something more acting related, then uh, shoot reference. Uh, that always helps. Actually, we always shoot reference. Uh, and I remember when I first got to <laughs> Blizzard, it was like a team team event. Like I always shot reference by myself in a room and where I could feel comfortable. And then uh, there, all of a sudden, it's like a team and everybody's there with the lead and uh, two cameras because you have like a camera and a side camera um, and you can see some of that stuff by the way um, I can send you a link uh, 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 there's like a making of cinematics and this they show, they show some of the uh, reference yeah, I'd love I'd love that um, um, I don't I don't know if there's like a video component but you know I'll drop it in the shot and maybe you can like at that moment that's uh, for Warcraft 3 um, that's me and Justin uh, recording some fighting. Uh, for, cool. I'll, uh, I'll include this link in the in the description of the podcast. Sure, really sure. Like yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, and then for like a uh, dialogue, uh, uh, yeah, we always like record reference. Sometimes we can you can take your pics and show it to the director as well and uh, talk about that if it's if it's going the right right direction. Um, then you can block. Uh, some people like step blocking. Um, I don't know if. Um, if somebody's unfamiliar, it's basically uh, no interpolation between keyframes. It just jumps from pose to pose. Uh, some people hate it, and they just do like spline blocking, uh, roughly. Uh, either way is fine. Uh, and then once it's uh, like in semi-presentable way, like the idea is clear, you can show it to lead or supervisor, and then eventually director, and uh, get a buy-off, and then you keep refining it. Um, yeah, so you can just keep keep more and more refining, showing it to dailies, get notes, and just keep, it's like a cycle at that point <laughs> until it's done. Nice. I mean, that's, that's a pretty good overview. I'm just thinking, like, you know, you've kind of shared your whole story of how you started, um, how you how you got into working professionally, and and what you do, and some of the highlights too. What are you hoping somebody that is listening to this and they're interested in pursuing CG, or they're working in CG right now and they're looking to maybe you know, get better at the craft or, or whatnot? What are you hoping that they kind of get out of this chat from your journey? Um, I would imagine there'll be somebody who's just starting out because I don't think anything I said right now is any anything like special or unique to the industry. I think most people in this industry already know all the stuff. It's not like anything, anything secret. Um, I guess if when I was first learning I heard all this stuff from uh, animation mentor and uh, people working in the industry as well. So um, that kind of gave me like an insight into how the studios work um, yeah. in a way. Um, but I don't know. Hopefully, they get excited. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any? Do you have any like tips that you wish that you had been given when you were kind of starting out that you want to share? 
Well, I wish I could tell myself that uh, there's a lot more to animation than I thought back then. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I wish I would have pointed myself in the right direction in terms of animation to, to learn like the, the 12 principles, firstly. And okay. and I thought to myself at the time, I already know the software. Why do I need to do bouncing ball to learn animation? You know, I already know how to do bouncing ball. No, I did not. Because apparently I did not know how to... Uh, uh, yeah, it's it's weird because you can take a lot of animation, especially like physical kind of animations, and break down each part into basically a bouncing ball. Uh, a jump is basically a bouncing ball, except you have poses in there. Um, so a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, so bouncing ball is super important, especially when you're first learning animation, I feel like. And then you get gets you thinking about um, uh, physics a little bit and the momentum and uh, uh, friction. Like for example, and again, <laughs> I think any animator already knows this. <laughs> uh, but uh, doing the bouncing ball, I learned how to separate uh, uh, the horizontal up and down curve with the vertical, and how they relate to each other. So, so for example, when the bouncing ball is uh, bouncing, um, it's, it's not it's hitting the ground for like one frame, so it's not really having so much horizontal friction. So horizontally, that curve should look fairly linear, unless it's like wind or something. Um, and then only when the ball starts starts rolling, that's when the friction of the ground starts to slow down the horizontal. So, um, so you can separate your like the way you think about the up and down and, and horizontal curve in, in graph editor, for example. You can totally separate the, the two, and it'll work. Uh, like if you have a have a wall, for example, and it's bouncing off the wall, um, you can keep your bounce curve just indefinitely. Um, and you can at any point you can insert that horizontal curve sharply uh, to the other direction. Um, it'll totally work in any any of the frames. Um, and that was kind of like a bouncing ball aha moment for me uh, back then, I guess. Nice. That's some, that's some good insight. I mean, I'm kind of still new to well, I've been working in Maya, but I'm still kind of new to graph editor and all those things. And it's it's a, coming from like a stop motion 2D perspective. It's a big learning curve just to understand how the software works before I can even try to attempt to yeah, animate yeah. anything. <laughs> <laughs> you should probably get uh, Justin. I, yeah, I, actually, <laughs> I had, uh, I, I know what you're talking about with um, turning the mesh on because way back when, when I was doing stop motion, I was also experimenting in uh, 3D Studio Max, I think it was three or 3.5 or something like that. And, mm -hmm. and yeah, the render time with the computer was like insanely slow and then you turn off the, the mesh, and then, yeah, 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 yeah. And then oh. when you want to render it, you have to like leave it overnight to right, to right. render oh, each. I've done, I've done overnight renders so many times back then in college. It was amazing. I remember would wake up uh, in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, and then I have to check on my render to see yeah, how my global accidentally turned off and you lost everything. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> well, if you do like uh, every frames into like uh, PNG or whatever, or right, if, right, at, right. at least those are saved. Um, but yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing your brother probably exposed you to some 3D too, right? Because he did. Oh yeah. 3D. Well, it, it's at the same time that I was doing. That's kind of why I specialized in stop motion because he was so far advanced in 3D already that I was looking at what he was doing and trying to do my own stuff and just kind of being like, there's such a huge gap between what I can see as possible and the amount of time I'm gonna have to spend, and I'm already doing stop motion over here, so I'm gonna continue doing that because that's kind I of my. Thing. So yeah, I, I uh, have a bunch of 3D shorts that I never published online that I don't even uh, know are. <laughs> just like dumb stuff like robots fighting each other and like whatever but you know <laughs> I mean, now, that I'm, now that I'm getting back into it it's actually more difficult than I remember for some reason <laughs> it does definitely a lot more tools and they evolved yeah uh, but you can do a lot more too now right oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Sure. well soon like people are replicating stop motion style in 3d so Stop motion is just going to become obsolete, anyways. Yeah, right, right. Ah, uh, well, I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully I, I, not. I still think there's a strong future in stop motion. Yeah, because there's certain look, like when it comes to 2D animation and, and stop motion, there's certain quality to it that's so appealing that I don't know. I don't. I feel like 3D hasn't quite captured yet. No. I, and there's certain things that you there's certain stories you can tell in stop motion where you could actually animate stuff in real life and have like time lapses and stuff that you can't do in 3D. So. Yeah. 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 Anyways, is there any is there anything else that you wanted to share? Um, uh, wrapping I, well, up? I, I was remember one of the questions also because I took uh, an acting class. Um, oh right, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, uh, like, uh, goes back to that question about uh, improving yourself. Um, like because I haven't done as much acting as I did like action stuff. 
um, it was a class with Alan Simpson uh, here in Burbank. It was great because uh, he intuitively somehow uh, maybe I, I was thinking about that kind of stuff but uh, every time you have almost like a system and check mark to go through it it makes your job uh, life easier so i remember one thing that he uh, was stressing is uh, in, in when it comes to action uh, sorry acting uh in the moment where when the characters uh, delivering the line is to arrive to an action verb of what the actor wants to do that moment so um for example, if you if you think I'm like angry, like I'm angry at this person, uh, and so act like you're angry. Well, that's not very specific. That's like really broad because you can be angry, but what do you want to do about that? Do you want to yeah. belittle him? Do you want to embarrass him? Do you want to torture him? Do you want to kill him? And that's a lot more specific because those are actually like verbs, I guess. Um, uh, and then, then you can arrive um, to those acting choices that way. And all you have to do is just change that action verb and mm. then um then your acting changes like he did this example where he um probably might not make because i remember the, the question came up like well what if the the line is delivered in a certain way uh, sure it has um, um leans towards but i'm guessing like if it was delivered a certain way then the director probably meant it to to go a certain direction as well but uh he he, he said that um could you hold on just one second? I just need to take care of something. Sure. And yeah. then, no, 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 no. That, oh. And then, and then, if I say, could you just hold on one second? I need to take care of something. So I, uh, without uh, visual, probably not going to make sense. But first, first, uh, uh, my first time I said it, the voice del delivering of the voice was really similar, right? It was like pretty close, uh, and it could be the same if it was a recording. But the first time I did it more respectful uh, towards you, and the second one was more dismissive. But yeah. it's, but it's the same line delivery, right? So your body language uh, changes and that based on what I wanted to do, right? I wanted to be respectful to you because I need to do something or I want to dismiss you because I don't care about you. So that kind of changes, right? Um, and I, I remember we had this exercise. It was uh, really, really cool. It was, uh, he gave us like little scenes to play uh, from movies and he didn't tell us what the movies were, uh, but I had a scene, um, uh, it was from Annie Hall. Uh, where Alan, Woody Allen character comes in and uh, uh, his ex-girlfriend called him at 3 a.m. or something like that uh, because there's a giant spider in, 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 the, in the bathroom. <laughs> um, and so the first time we played the scene, it was like normal, like I'm tired, you tired, know, like why am I dealing with this bullshit? And so overall you figure out, well, so of course you figure out your history, uh, your kind of personality and uh, um, overall state of mind. But you need to arrive towards what the character wants to do overall in the scene and in in the moments where he delivered the line. So, overall, the, he just wanted to uh, finish dealing with this crap and just leave because he's tired. Uh, and then during delivering the lines, you know, uh, there are little changes. So, we did it pretty much that way first time. Then, um, like like I just wanted to be done with the spider, and uh, um, and then the second time he told me that oh. My ex-girlfriend's calling me at three o'clock in the morning because this is a fighter. <laughs> That's just an excuse to get me in, right? She wants to get back in together. So uh, that completely changed the whole dynamic of how we approached the lines. Like, like, uh, like, inst every line was more of like, I'm, I just want to, you know, oh, there's a spider, and I'm like, a, I'm like, a, you called uh, like a hero, like we're kind of flirting, you know, we totally want to get back together, and that completely changed uh, the way we acted, even right. though it's the same lines. And then the third time he told me, uh, I'm really scared of spiders. And if I go into there, I'm, I'm just going to die if, if I go. So uh, at first I was thinking I would come in like, oh, you know, uh, I'm fairly confident. But once I heard there's a giant spider, uh, my motivations, what I want to do as a character completely changed as well. I just wanted to not go there at all costs. So there was a moment where uh, the character noticed his magazine, like, oh, hey, you went to... Um, uh, a rock concert and so in the other one where um in the first example for example uh i, I kind of started to belittle her a little bit like really who'd you go with you know like what the fuck why didn't you tell me about it and then in in the time where the spider was going to kill me for example that became my opportunity to distract from the, the fact that this, uh that I, there's a spider and like hey you went to the concert that's really cool you know like who'd you go with so he, because motivation of the character change, like what he, what he wants to do, delivery of the line changes and how you act changes. And uh, 
just thinking about that every time now, it just makes things a lot more interesting and clear, I guess. No, for sure. I like that tip in the one, too, where thinking about an action instead of kind of what the character is feeling. Right. I think... it... yeah, go Sorry, ahead. I was going to say that's a lot more specific than the... I mean, definitely you have to figure out the feeling. You definitely have to figure out the character's state of mind and the history and all that stuff. But you have to arrive towards um, the action verb, what, the, what you want to do in that moment. And that's very specific. I think that's really good stuff because you don't really learn that in animation school. You learn, like I'm doing right now, you learn more about the principles of animation and storytelling versus um, you specifically pick that up from acting classes, right? Right, yeah. So uh, yeah. And The class where I was took, actually, there were a bunch of animators from DreamWorks there and some somebody, one guy from Disney, I think. So, <laughs> I mean, we're all trying to learn. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it's actually I've actually heard that quite commonly that... Um, animators take acting classes. I, I need to get on some acting classes myself, I guess, at some point. <laughs> well, well, thank you. Is there anything else you wanted to share? As, as um, I just want to say thanks for doing this. I mean, I mean like I said, like I was a, I'm still a big fan of your old stop motion animation. So for me, just to talk to you is already, <laughs> already a gift. So oh, thank well, thank much. you. That makes me so happy. <laughs> and, uh, and say hi to your brother. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, well, I, never, I never met him in person too, but I chatted with him a little bit. And I remember I tried to get him to blur a long time ago. <laughs> oh, oh, and he also used my free Max rig, which uh, I'm really glad he did. <laughs> which, which one is it? Um, a long time ago, uh, I called him. Well, it was a low Max, because it was a low man for Maya. And then I used 3D Max at the time, so I made Low Max. Uh, kind of stole the name, just made it Max because of 3D Studio Max. <laughs> um, and then I made like a lot more, a little bit higher res version of it, and just called him Max. So he used Is it like the yellowish character. Yeah, the... yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, okay, with the well, really simple, really simple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know exactly but, what you're talking about. <laughs> but it was, it, it was cool seeing him use it, and uh, it was long, a while, uh, while there. Nice. Well, I, I share the the feeling is mutual. I'm I'm very happy to have you on because I followed your work for quite some time too. <laughs> yeah, okay, thanks. Exciting so. <laughs> to talk to you about your career. <laughs> So th thank you so much for coming on the chat. I, I really no enjoyed having you and learning about everything that you've done over your career. And if you're listening and you'd like to reach out to Peter, you can find him on LinkedIn. And I'll include a link to his profile in the description of this video, as well as uh, the link to the making of the cinematics that he shared in the chat. And that's all for now. So thanks so much for listening. Okay, bye. <laughs>